When I say I live in Detroit, some people ask me if I see urban decay. It always catches me off guard. Maybe it's the word choice. I see memory, history, land as personal as skin. Sometimes I feel like these streets have a memory of me. They could recite the whole plot. Maybe some places are meant to belong to you, waiting for you to arrive. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenna Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. If you're ready to join us in the hustle, listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, the creative journey is all worth it. Amy Saka is a documentary photographer based in Detroit, Michigan, who is passionate about celebrating the beauty of people and culture, particularly in Detroit and the Midwest. Her work has been featured in National Geographic, Topic, Lens Culture, The Guardian, and many more. She's a National Geographic explorer and a top 50 critical mass photographer. Amy's work has been exhibited internationally, including at Photoville in Brooklyn, Cortona on the Move in Italy, Brighton Biennial UK, and Arles, France, just to name a few. If you've ever dreamed of being published by National Geographic, this episode is for you. Amy talks about how submitting to the National Geographic Your Shot community portal eventually led to two grants. She describes why she drove 10,000 miles around Michigan to meet and photograph ice anglers. We talk about her move back to Detroit to discover what place, home, and belonging mean to her, and the surprising reaction to her Roommates After 40 project. I'm enamored with her month-long, 250-mile New York City slow walk where she photographed the details of every block from 1st Street to 110th Street on Manhattan's east side. This is We Are Photographers with Amy Saka, and this is her story. Amy, I think that most people's dream is to be a National Geographic photographer. What did it feel like the first time you were published in National Geographic? Oh, it was an absolutely incredible experience. You know, a lot of work went into that project because um, I got a grant from National Geographic. So my, my official title that they give grantees is National Geographic Explorer. So just being able to use that title forever is such an honor. So I think from the initial getting the... Um, email saying your grant has been approved you are now a national geographic explorer it was so exciting and then there was a whole journey from that to doing the work and then there was a lot involved in getting the work published because when you get a grant with national geographic you aren't guaranteed to be published tell me a little bit more about one serendipitous action that you can look back on and say 
sort of this thing happened and that led me to being noticed by an editor? Well, one of the things that I feel very strongly about with my work is that at this point, all the work I've done has been about following questions that are important to me. And with the National Geographic project, I it started by wanting to get to know my father better. So I he's an ice fisherman. And I thought, well, wouldn't that be really cool to go with him out on the ice, see what that's all about? So that's what I started to do. And at that point, it, I didn't have a lot of designs on this project. Like most of my projects, I didn't have National Geographic in mind by any means. I had my iPhone with me. I took my iPhone on the ice three years ago with him and started just photographing him. And then, of course, as a documentarian, I started talking to other people on the ice, using the iPhone to document whomever was out there. And then when I learned, when people were talking about what was happening on the ice and the declining ice cover, I realized that this was a much bigger topic that I wanted to explore. And that's when I started to look into the grant. But again, what I love about this project, project is that it started with just this personal desire that was very important to me to get to know my, my father better. And then as the way the project unfolded, he was, he was involved in lots of different ways throughout that project. What did you discover about your father through the project? <laughs> One of the things that's kind of funny is that I learned that there's not, I know a lot about him, <laughs> which is essentially that he's competitive. And so for him, fishing is, he's going out there to catch the most fish. And it's, it's the sport that matters to him and moving the bucket around to find the best hole with the most fish. Um, but I think he also really enjoys the beauty of the outdoors and the solitude. And that's one of the things that I would hear over and over as I got into the grant work. I, I drove 10,000 miles around Michigan going to all of these different spots, meeting so many different ice anglers. And that would be a repeated theme of people as they would say, we just, we love the solitude. So that was one thing that surprised me about my dad. Did you actually do some ice fishing as well uh, as it, through this experience? <laughs> I did a little bit. I laugh because my mother is like, isn't this, isn't this so ironic that the person that I, I even hated eating fish growing up because the smell of fish would be in the house as I was growing up. I think both my brother and I, we would wake up and he'd be coming in at eight o'clock in the morning and you, you just wonder why, why does he love this so much? So, um, Yes, I did some fishing out there. Of course, as a photographer, my desire is to always have the camera at every second to be able to capture everything. But yes, I think that when you're out there with people and they're enjoying it so much, they want you to enjoy it too. And one of the things I've always known about my dad is it's important that when we're out there with him, that we're enjoying it. And in his mind, enjoying it is catching a fish. Now, I only caught mostly small perch, but it... I, I watched a lot of people bring up huge walleye and pike. And that's another thing that I, I want to say that 
is absolutely thrilling to see that happen on the ice. How did you balance this process of both being the observer, but also wanting to have the experience of what it actually felt like? I think with a lot of people, and this is a thread that I've seen through all of the photography that I've done, people want to be heard. People want to be noticed. People, one of the most powerful things about photography is just witnessing somebody's life. And when you're in a shanty, a small shanty with someone in freezing cold weather and you're sitting, you're sitting there with them, people are often telling you about their life story. And I think that's the participation that I find myself most engaged in versus being the observer is just listening. And you find out a lot more about why they enjoy what they're doing. You find out about family histories and, and there's a sort of closeness that develops that I think might even show up in some of my photographs because I think I've been told that my photographs are very intimate, um, especially my street photos, because I, I talk with people. I'm not that invisible street photographer that doesn't engage with people. Another body of work that I wanted to explore with you, and that is all of your work in Detroit, and which is where <laughs> yeah. you live um, right now. And where you were born, born and raised in the suburbs of Detroit. So, I find this um, whole um, project and life's work um, to to really be be fascinating. So, tell me about growing up in the suburbs of Detroit, and then how that then brought you back many years later to going back to live there and mm-hmm. create this body of work. Sure. Um- Well, I have a long family history in Detroit. My, I like to talk about my mother's history. She lived in a 10 person household, eight brothers and sisters and her parents. Um, I'd say lower to middle class living in multiple homes, seven different homes in Detroit, most of which are gone. And growing up in the suburbs, it was always like there was this gap for me and my knowledge of what Detroit was about. And I have to say that through my 20s, for example, I didn't really care about that gap in my knowledge. I I was happy to move elsewhere and not really think about it. But I think you reach a point in your life where your history becomes more important to you Uh, I had gone through a very difficult divorce in Seattle, and when I moved to Detroit, what was interesting to me is I I was looking for things to hold on to because I had lost a lot. I suddenly saw the ground just disappear from under my feet. And so for me, I wanted to explore what was important to my family history. What is this place? Where did my grandparents live? And So I moved into the city. I've lived there for seven years now, and I've explored a lot of these ideas about what it feels like to live in this place and feel a sense of belonging and that there's almost like ghosts following me around a little bit and also to witness these massive changes. And it's very fraught because, you know, as people like me, I I am a a gentrifier. I'm moving in and, and, and it's, it's concerning. I've had a lot of questions around this work because 
you know, there's a lot of people that have to are, are moving out of the city now, too, that have been here for a long time. So there's a lot of things that have gone on in my head as I've done this work, but it's all around what what does place mean to you? What does home mean to you? How do you feel that you belong in a place? Um, who has and also who has the right to tell these stories? Does someone like me have the right to tell this story? I've been gone for a really long time. But I do have a family history here. Um, and I've been very interested throughout this project to talk to people who have stayed here. As someone who's moved a lot, I admire people who have developed longstanding ties to their community. It's something that I'm frankly a little bit jealous about because history matters, time matters, putting time into a place. People, there are a lot of people in Detroit who just, are so connected to this place. And I think it's a wonderful thing. What do you think is one of the most misunderstood things about Detroit? You'll hear a lot of people in Detroit talk about this. They call it, especially new people, oh, it's a blank slate for creatives to come in and, and do people to do what they want here. But, oh, no, people have continued to live here, even though Detroit lost a significant amount of population. I think it was a over 1 million at one point, and now it's down to 700,000. The people who have stayed here have created incredibly rich, wonderful traditions, some of which have been important things for me to document because I believe in the value of that. I believe in the value of um, grassroots kind of cultural experiences that make a city a city versus the built environment that is creating these almost um, multi-million dollar constructions to try to market a community that, I don't know, I, is it really a community? <laughs> An apartment building? Maybe. When you are out there doing your street photography, you are having conversations and you've even said that that is potentially more important than the images themselves. Mm -hmm. What is something surprising that you learned and can you describe a, a particular image that led to that interaction slash conclusion? Well, there's a particular image I remember taking early on in my time in Detroit and there was, there was a, a house fire and there was in the background of the photo. And then there's, there's a building in front with this really cool graffiti and there was a guy walking by and I was in my car and I took the picture and he was looking at me and I was, I was looking at him and it, it was just like this sort of interesting thing about all this stuff that's going in the background, going on in the background in Detroit, the destruction, the fires. And, and it was like a confrontation of, I, I felt like, what what role do I have in what has gone on in Detroit? And how can I be sensitive to what has happened in Detroit? And how can I honor the things that are important to Detroiters and the people who have lived here? So I've really focused a lot on people and interacting with people and showing the beauty. It's very important to me to show just the gorgeous beauty of the people who have persisted here. Speaking of persisting, <laughs> you are, are have a have images in a recent exhibit 
I'm really fascinated by the work of um, amnesia. Can you tell us uh, what the work is and what um, what the experience was of creating it? Sure, absolutely. Um, I I took the photos in Iceland. I nine years ago in Iceland, my marriage ended in Iceland, <laughs> and it was a very traumatic experience for me. And I felt like I lost a bit of my memory because it was so traumatic. And while I've unbelievably healed since then, mostly through photography, actually, there was always a piece of me that wanted to go back to Iceland and use photography as a way to fill in the gaps in that memory. And so I didn't know how I was going to do it, but um, I, it's a very different body of work from what I've done because there aren't as many people in the photos and I'd like to do some writing. A lot of my work has writing associated with it and I've, I've done a little bit of that with this project, but I also want to respect the experience that I had too and so and not bring a lot of the trauma into it, but, but um talk about it in a way of healing, I suppose, like you said. I've had wonderful reaction to it because I think that experience is something that a lot of people can relate to. Maybe not the specifics of it, but going through a trauma and feeling that incredible loss. And there's another project I did called Roommates After 40, <laughs> where as a similar thing, I get people talk to me so much about that project because it touches on things that we all think about, about how to be happy, how to heal, how to use different forms of creativity to even the creative way we think about how we live to um, have a more fulfilling life. So tell me a little bit more about about this, because I love just even the way you title it, uh, uh, love and money, uh, roommates after 40. <laughs> what drove you to have uh, roommates again? And um, what have you learned about yourself through that in terms of what brings you joy? Yeah, uh, I'm so excited to talk about that work because it's something I, it's very surprising to me, the reaction, if we don't want to talk about the reaction that I've experienced to that work, it's, it's been pretty unbelievable. Um, I, it was published in Topic, that story, and um, immediately when I talked to David Beretta, who's the editor there, I was actually showing him some of the ice fishing work because at the time I wasn't sure if that was going to be published by Nat Geo, their rights had expired. Um, and so I was showing David that work. And then as I was leaving the room, he said, well, what else are you working on? And I said, well, and I didn't have anything prepared because it was a short meeting. And I said, oh, I'm just, I'm working on this roommates after 40 thing about my own house. And he said, roommates after 40. And I thought, oh, it's interesting because you have had the same reaction as so many other people. I mean, people will stop me in Detroit and be like, you're the roommates girl. <laughs> they do. Um, so I have kind of a biggish house in Detroit. And I, I had been thinking ever since I bought the house, I had always thought that there was another purpose for my home. And it originally it was to share it with somebody else. But I thought, God, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready to have roommates, maybe Airbnb. 
And then actually I'm a part of this program called Documenting Detroit and they, it's a free program for emerging photographers to do a documentary project and they pair the photographers with mentors. I mean, amazing. Jamie Welford from National Geographic came in, Maggie Steber came in, um, Brenda Keneally, uh, Brent Lewis. So when some of these photographers or editors have come in, they've stayed at my house. I've hosted them. And so that was a cool entryway into having a house full of creatives. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm having coffee with Brent Lewis. This is very cool because you get to experience these people in a, you know, in a different way, get to know them in a different way. So that then I, I, after that, I had a friend suggest to me, well, I rents in Detroit are rising and I need a lower cost option. And I said, well, I'm really unsure about this, but let's try it for a few months. That has turned into three roommates and two dogs <laughs> and they all just happen to be females. And now two of which are also divorced. And it has just been such a joy to see my life unfold in this way because I don't mind being by myself, but what I've loved is to have the community, you know, all of us coming back from dates and being able to talk around the dinner table about what happened, share the pain of Bumble together. <laughs> um, but what I, what I've found too, is that I've met a lot of women who I met one woman in new Orleans in particular, who I was there by myself. And she said, you know, I've often, I've often wondered what I would do if my spouse died and could I live on my own? And I thought about my home life and how rich and beautiful it is. And I thought, God, if more people could expand their idea of what their life could look like, if this not roommates isn't great for everybody, but, um, there's a bit of a taboo around it. Well, I don't want there to be a taboo because it's just been so fulfilling in so many ways that I, I want it to be the norm that people can think about this as an option. Millennials do. Millennials, it's a normal thing for millennials. I do feel that there's a bit of a loneliness epidemic and um, a little bit of a, what do I do with my life if suddenly I'm in a different predicament, I mean, even with women living longer than men, it would be great that if people are in their fifties or sixties, they could maybe benefit from having roommates too. And so the idea is just to expand our notions of what is possible and to hopefully remove some of that shame. It's really interesting as we're having this conversation, I'm really hearing this theme of home, 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 uh, come through a lot. It was a base for a lot of your work and, the last project that I wanted to explore with you is one that you've recently been been posting on Instagram and I absolutely love is your slow walk up through through Manhattan's east side and what you have learned in terms of this process of being and seeing slow walk. Uh, that it was so interesting because I was in New York for the blank portfolio reviews and a friend of mine said, Oh, I have an apartment in the Bronx. I said, great, I'll stay with you in the Bronx for a month and we'll see how that goes. And, um, so 
I went there initially for the portfolio reviews and I thought, well, I want to get out there and do some street photography because I really, at my core, I, I am a street photographer and I bring street into my documentary work too. So I thought, well, let's start on first street <laughs> on the East side. And so it wasn't even something I intended to do, but I realized I started walking on first street and I was walking slowly and I thought, I am noticing so many more things. I think it took me 10 hours to walk one or two streets the first day. And I had rules set up about not turning behind me, just photographing what was in front of me and not, cross, not crossing the street to take a photo because I really wanted to notice the details of what was in front of me. And it's amazing the things I'd noticed like, even the way that the little junk mail was folded up into this beautiful paper airplane thing and put it in, put in the slot of a someone's fence or the way that the birds were, um, I could hear them. And people would look, at, I'd, I'd deliberately look at people and I thought, this is really amazing that there's so much detail. It's kind of a, a little bit of a Buddhist principle um, about noticing and so I continued to slow walk. I slow walked from First Street all the way up to 110th Street. And I don't, it's hard to explain the way I started at Fifth Avenue and went all the way to the water. And I went on both sides of the street. That was another thing that I noticed was that you see things, the same things, so incredibly differently when you cross the street. And I believe that's a little bit of a metaphor <laughs> for life that if you just, change your perspective slightly and you're paying attention that it can be very surprising. So, um, yeah, it was, it was quite a project. I think I walked about two, it was 250 miles. I want to do the West side. I need someone to fund it. <laughs> Maybe we can do that. Maybe we can do that. Right. Oh. Anybody like out two. there? <laughs> I want to end talking about this concept of emerging photographer. Talk to me about what you mean by that and then what advice you would have for other photographers who might even not be emerging yet. Sure. What I've realized in the past five years is that I'm, I, I don't know. There are many things that I don't know. It just reflecting on my own career, I have stayed true to what I want to explore. And I'm lucky that I have other ways of supplementing my income to where I can, I can do that. So if somebody wants to do, I, I don't know, I guess following my path, what, it would be about exploring the questions that matter to you. What is troubling me at the moment and how, or, or what do I want to celebrate? What do I think is worth celebrating? You know, I spent 24 hours photographing a local diner in Detroit because I just thought it was such an amazing part of Detroit history. Well, go, go do it if it interests you and celebrate the things that matter to you. Beautiful words. And I just love also this concept of uh, not just 
photographing things that are troubling you, but also photographing things that are celebrating you, um, celebrating life Mm -hmm. and celebrating what we're experiencing in the world. And again, we experience, those of us photographers, experience the world through photography. Amy, where can people see your work, follow you, connect with you? Uh, I'm curious if you're mentoring people as, uh, <laughs> um, as if people are reaching out to you for that. Where can people follow you? Sure. So I'm really into this program, Documenting Detroit, um, where I mentor new photographers. Um, but to follow my work, I post on Instagram often <laughs> and sometimes you know, on Facebook too. And then my website, amysackaphotography.com. Amy, it's been such a pleasure having you. Um, thank you for sharing all of your experiences and the beauty behind what you are creating. Thank you. I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. Be sure to follow all things Amy Saka on her website, amysackaphotography.com. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us, and yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, we've got a class or two, or thousands for you to check out just head over to creativelive.com. For those of you brand new to Creative Live, welcome to our global community of over 10 million strong. We have a special gift just for you. Use the code wearephotographers at checkout and get $10 off your very first purchase. The code is wearephotographers, all one word, no spaces. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to Amy Saka, and I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers. Four years ago, I met a man who grew up in Detroit who told me he never forgot when a group of tourists described his city as a ghost town. It seemed to physically hurt him. Now you can see hundreds of people walking around downtown new ghosts.